So if you'll look past the weakness of my flesh and just zero in on the word, how many believe it's going to be all right? Amen. Amen. Isn't it good to get to trust Jesus? With all the chaos and wild nuttiness that's going on, isn't it great to be able to trust in Jesus? I was thinking about that old song, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust How I've proved. Him over and over. Yes. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace. To trust him more. Amen. How many believe the Lord can help us? trust him more even in these uncertain times amen amen uh, I want to share uh, something today with you I'm delighted to have our daughter and son-in-law with us today and uh, they're a miracle walking miracle and and uh, they always look like to hear dad preach and thank you for coming today and always delighted to be with Kath uh, we travel the world together, honestly. Uh, it's been a busy season, a busy time. And any of you who saw the picture of us like floating on a yacht last weekend in Tampa Bay, that's once-in-a-lifetime deal. That never happens. Most of the time, we're in a grass hut somewhere and just, you know, sipping out of a, a coconut. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we, we were in Tampa Bay last weekend, uh, and I, I just found out, actually, the SEC tournament. Was, was, I didn't know what was going on. I might, y'all might not have had me today if I'd known SEC tournament was going to uh, be going on there in Tampa Bay. But uh, it was a great time, and, and the Lord has been doing some special things uh, in these last weeks. Really, since the beginning of the year, we began, as many of you, uh, began the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting, seeking God. And I want to kind of, in the spirit of that, I, I want to carry on. Uh, with that a little bit today, and I I know you've been up and down a lot, but if you would uh, open to the book of Genesis chapter number one, I'm so inspired today, I'm just going to preach the whole Bible, and we're going to start in Genesis, and uh, (laughs) you ain't right, (laughs) Genesis chapter number one, I've, I've chosen a title for this message, and you'll have to just stay with it a little bit to get it, but uh, the message title I've chosen today is Watermark, Watermark. And so uh, we'll, we'll kind of unpack that over the next few minutes. It's Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, uh, an exceptionally familiar passage of Scripture for all of us. Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. What an incredibly powerful, powerful phrase. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. Would you say that with me? All the earth. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. There was the decree, the intent, and then the fulfillment. And we see this in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea. So there's a 
an echoing of the intent of God. He made us in his image according to his likeness and then gave us dominion. With dominion, there is an element of responsibility. Uh, he gave us, you might say it this way, it's, we love the power part, but so often we neglect the responsibility part. And so he says, I'm going to give you dominion, but that implies that there is a responsibility. The responsibility is to be what he intended us to be, and that's to be the image bearers of God in a fallen world. It wasn't fallen at this point, but it would eventually fall. And in that fallen world, our assignment is to be image bearers to bear the watermark of God. Okay? So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your spirit that's in this room. Lord, I thank you for the presence of God. It is so sweet to trust you. And Lord, I pray in the time that we have together, God, that you would open our hearts together, Lord, as a family. We're family, God. And as we gather around these ideas, Lord, that I've crafted together, feeling for you, Lord, and and there were moments in the process that I felt like, I, like Paul, I was reaching in the dark and groping in the dark. But God, as it solidified in my heart, I pray, God, that you will do in these words and through your message to the people what only you can do. And Lord, we offer you our heart as a throne to rule from today. And we're going to be grateful for all that you do in Jesus' great name. And everybody said a big amen. What is watermark? <clears throat> a watermark is a message. Usually it's a logo, a stamp, or a signature that's superimposed on another document. It's normally a faint image, but it can't be erased. That's what a watermark generally is. A watermark is always present. Wherever the document goes, wherever it's examined, that watermark is that consistent image imprinted on that piece of paper. If you've been to a law, lawyer's office or if you would take a moment and, and pull a banknote out of your pocket, a, a 10 or a 5 or a 50 or a 100 or a 1,000, whatever you have in your pocket this morning, you would find a watermark that essentially speaks of the authority of the United States government. That's a watermark. What's the purpose of a watermark? Well, watermark can be used to protect confidential information. There are times that it's a seal of sorts. And then it can also indicate validity of a, of a legal document. A watermark establishes ownership and origin. Ownership and origin. So when you see that watermark, you know where it came from. And typically the authority that is represented, represented in the verbiage or the information that's embedded in that document. Everybody okay? You follow what I'm saying? And so you'll also see watermarks uh, in, in other places. And it's designed on your money. It's designed theoretically to prevent counterfeiting. So you, you can tell the real from the fake by the watermark that's on the document. And that watermark becomes something that cannot be duplicated easily. And it cannot be. So that way you know if you're looking at a real $10 bill or a counterfeit $10 bill because it's watermarked. Uh, in, in, uh, on the sixth day of creation, the scripture records the making of man. And as humans, God designed us to bear the mark of God. We are image bearers. God intended you to always bear his mark. From the very creation, the dawn of history, 
And he envisioned in his incredible mind, the mind of God, when he envisioned you, he said, I'm not going to just make this being, this human, I'm going to make them in my image according to my likeness. They're going to bear my mark. I am ordaining them to be image bearers of my authority and my presence and my power in the world. And through that presence, they're going to have dominion and responsibility to introduce heaven into the earthly situations that they are in. So as humans, we are to bear the mark of God. We are image bearers. We're to carry his image and likeness into the world. And then sin came. And it distorted the image of God. And in the process, dehumanized the individual. That's essentially what sin does, ladies and gentlemen. It dehumanizes us. You see, the apex of humanity is to be perfectly in the image and likeness of God. That was his intent. But sin has made our lives, many of our lives, and I think we all would attest to this. At some point in our lives, sin made our lives kind of a sideshow in a circus or in a carnival. You know what I'm talking about? You didn't just make a mistake. Sin doesn't did wasn't just that little virus that impacted your life. It twisted everything up. It messed everything up. Remember those fun houses with the weird mirrors that made you look strange? And there was a resemblance of who you are, but your features were distorted and twisted. Big heads, little arms, long bodies. Anybody ever been to one of those? You have to pay to get in there. We'll all stand and laugh and say, well, I kind of see the resemblance but you're messed up. You're really messed up. And depending on the mirror and the way the mirror reflected your image, you could look really messed up. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's what sin does in the life of a human. It distorts you. There's a resemblance of who you were intended to be, but yet the reality is when you look at yourself through the lens of sin, it always distorts you and twists you and, 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 and causes you out of conformity. And, and it, it will, can I get an amen? And then Jesus came. And Jesus came to fix you and restore you to your original settings. If you're here in the room today and you haven't met Jesus, I, I hope you're not offended by what I'm saying, but sins messed you up. And it's not based on the number of sins you committed, but the fact that because you're part of a fallen human race, sin has distorted the original intent of God's watermark in your life. But the good news is, is you don't have to stay whacked out, messed up, and and, and torn up all of your life. You can go to Jesus and by the power of his blood. That ridiculous image that sin has made of your life. Can be changed back to the purpose and plan of God in your life. <laughs> God's watermark can be renewed in your life. God hasn't changed his mind about you. He hasn't given up on you. It doesn't matter where you've gone or what you've done. Or what's been done to you. The fact is he can straighten out the twisted mess. That life has tried to do with you. I think Hemingway said life breaks us all. And God's watermark in your life will cause you to bear his image and equip you to be in his likeness. One of our grandsons is here too. I, I didn't see Coop a minute ago. He's in the back. I'm glad he's here. One of our other grandsons, Noah, our 13-year-old, uh, called the other day. 
And I took him to this passage to explain a question. Now, he's 13 years old, okay? And so he calls, he says, Papa? I said, yeah, Noah. He said, can you explain the Trinity to me? He said, how can three be one and one be three? I said, sure, Noah, you got about five minutes. I mean, I, I laugh, some of you don't laugh, but I laugh at that because, you know, that's one, there are thousands of volumes of books written about an explanation of the Trinity. And I took note of this passage in Genesis to demonstrate at least an elementary, if not imperfect, illustration of one of the great biblical mysteries of all time. Uh, I said, Noah, you're made in God's image and according to his likeness, right? Yes. I thought that was a pretty heady question for a 13-year-old. I said, you're made in the image according to his likeness, right? Yes. I said, uh, you're one in three persons. He said, I am. I said, sure. I said, you're a spirit, right? Yes. I said, you have a soul. You are a soul, right? Your mind, will, and emotions, yes. And I said, uh, do you live in a body, right? You have a body. He said, yes. I said, are they each you completely? He said, yes. I said, yet they are distinct and can be individually defined. While they can't be divided, what part of your spirit is not Noah? No part of it, Papa. I said, what part of your body is not Noah? He said, no part of my body. I said, what part of your mind, will, and emotions and your soul is not Noah? He said, nothing. I said, so all three are Noah. But yet, there are three distinctions. And I, I understand you mentioned the theologians in the room. I know that there's weaknesses in that analogy. But I thought for a 13-year-old, that was a good place to start. He said, uh, I got it, Papa. I said, good. Uh, he, <laughs> he calls with some wild questions. Uh, he called uh, maybe two weeks ago and said, Papa, what did it mean when Jesus said, Greater things will you do than I've done? Papa, are we supposed to be doing what Jesus did on earth? I had paused for a moment. I knew that was a loaded question. I said, yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Now, my message today is not about the Trinity, and it's not about even doing the things of Jesus, but it was just to underscore the core idea of Genesis chapter number one, that you were made in the image of God in the, according to his life, God has high hopes for you. God has given you an assignment. And it's not just to be rich. It's not just to get ahead. It's not just to be the head and not the tail and on top and not underneath. That's all byproducts. His assignment is for you to demonstrate his kingdom power and his authority in the world around you as an image bearer and the likeness of God in heaven. That is our job. You have an assignment, not just to get rich, to get ahead or live your best life now. You are here to be an image bearer, to carry the torch of his truth into a sick world and a sin-sick world, stumbling in the darkness. We can, can I tell you, now, I, listen, I, I, I get a little passionate about it. I'm not mad at anybody, but just bear with me a minute. Is it okay for me to say today that we need you to bear the image of God in this world? 
oh, we're quick to label ourselves as a Republican or Democrat or a conservative or a liberal or, or we're, we're willing to lay our, label ourselves with all the vocational labels that can be added, a, a doctor or a lawyer or a builder or a, a real estate executive or all the different things that we can label ourselves. What if we begin to focus on the label that really matters, the only one that really matters, and that's to bear the image of God in every circumstance and every situation and every encounter with people in every moment of challenge, in every difficult moment and triumphant moment that we make sure we are carrying the image of God into that situation. Whew. All you need to do, as Pastor mentioned early, if you want to understand the need and urgency of this assignment, is watch the first five minutes of any newscast. How quickly we're reminded that our world needs to see Jesus in us. Our world desperately needs to see Jesus in the church. Can I, did I say that? Can I say that again? I said the world desperately needs. I, I, as you, I've watched as Ukrainian, courageous Ukrainian fighters have done what they could do to fend off the onslaught of this nation that's invading their country. But worse than Ukraine needs fighters, we need Christians who around the world will be who God's called them to be and to do what God's called them to do. Will consider yourself God's invasionary forces to bring his kingdom authority, his kingdom power, and share that as a responsibility that was committed in God's original intent when he created you. Enough with religion. High church, low church, formal, casual church. Enough with men worship where we're shaken when our favorite celebrity preachers fall and it shocks us all. Enough with all that. The world needs to see Jesus. They need to see Jesus among us, in us, and on us. In Revelation chapter 1, John sees Jesus walking among the golden lampstands, which are the seven churches representing the churches of all the ages. And he's walking among those lampstands, and he's walking there. His hair is like white as wool, and his eyes are like fire, and his voice is at the sound of many waters. This is the image that this world needs to see in Jesus. Can I say a church that's on fire? A church that's on fire, a church that's filled with revival, a church that's not filled with anemic, in and out, half-baked half saints, that church that's filled with people that are all in for Jesus. It was Mark Batterson in his book, All In, that said to go all in, sometimes you have to go all out. As I read that passage in John this week, I thought, man, I was, I was juxtaposing that over the, the images I was seeing on television of missiles blowing buildings up. And I'm thinking, Lord, when will you return? When will you come with eyes like fire and hair like wool? And he says, I'm there in the church. So we simply cannot solve the world's problems and the challenges we face without Jesus. He is the only Prince of Peace. Okay, so let's summarize my introduction. We have an assignment to carry his image and likeness into every situation and circumstance till he comes. The mission of the church is to be Jesus working in the world till he comes. 
We are the body of Christ collectively and individually. And we have an assignment and a responsibility till he comes. One day that sky will split and he will return in his glory. But till he does, the glory of the resurrection is lived in the life of the saints. We bear his watermark. Today we're being confronted with so many things. War and poverty and social tensions and justice and pandemic. Wow, that we're, thank God, beginning to see a little movement from. And we feel compelled to look for political solutions and diplomatic answers. But there's only one solution today. And I came to boldly declare it in Heber Springs, Arkansas. The only solution is Jesus Christ. But if we don't apply the solution in our life, we give no platform for Jesus to have impact. He's going to be living and working through you. And he's equipped us for this mission from the very beginning. He made us. We are built for this task. Ladies and gentlemen, we are built for this task. Because we bear his watermark. See, so much of what we do, even in our rituals, even in, not that communion is a ritual, but it's somewhat of a ritual. It doesn't mean it's in unimportant or unimpactful. But it's something we celebrate, has been since the very beginning. Communion is perhaps the oldest tradition of the church, dating back to the apostolic age. Even to the night Jesus was betrayed. Paul would later then say, for I've received that which I've te- taught you. I received it from the Lord. I received that from the Lord. See, Paul didn't get the idea of communion from the apostles in Jerusalem. He got it from Jesus. We don't understand all that happened in those three years of training in the desert after his conversion. But apparently Jesus himself taught him about the power of communion. Why? Paul explains because he said that Jesus said that as oft as we eat this bread and drink this cup we do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes you see that's an open ended responsibility and command it's not just so you can have a wafer and a sip of grape juice before you go have lunch it's by doing so in faith you proclaim that that moment becomes a message What I'm essentially preaching, ladies and gentlemen, is I think the solution that we need right now in America, today, and around the world. And I'm not saying it'll stop the war. I'm not saying that it will stop a pandemic. I'm just saying in spite of the war and in spite of the pandemic, the solution that it will bring is it will enliven Jesus among his church around the world. And that's our responsibility And so that's kind of uh, the introduction that I wanted to share with you. And so let me get to the heart of my message. So today I want to talk about the mark of God on your life and how you proclaim Christ's kingdom and victory over this world till he comes. And to do this, I want to focus on a word that might seem a bit old-fashioned. Pastor mentioned that our roots go back, way back, in the Pentecostal movement, so Some of you may be, I hope you're not off-put by this word, but it's a bit of old-fashioned word. It's called sanctification. 
I want to give you a tool. See, it's one thing for me to get up and boldly declare that we are to be Jesus working among his church. That we are to be Jesus in the world. And you're to be Jesus in the courtroom. And Jesus in the classroom. And, and Jesus in, at the bank office. And Jesus on the construction job. It's easy for me to do that and not give you a tool to know how do I do that. Well, so am I supposed to take my Bible and just walk on to, you know. Am I supposed to be a, a, a message where I've got to be a Bible thumper and constantly annoying people? by That's not what I'm suggesting. But I do want to give you a tool that will help you do it. And it's an old-fashioned tool called sanctification. Let me just talk with you for a few moments about it. It's a word that's been grossly misunderstood and as a result been relegated to the stack of obsolete legalistic religious terms in the do not use frequently stack. But this word is the headwaters of revival. The enemy wants us to set it aside because it is one of the greatest keys to unlocking revival in the church and releasing a Jesus with fiery eyes and white hair in his wool and, and, and brass feet. And that powerful Jesus that we see in Revelation is released in our world through a key the enemy would love for us to set aside that I'm calling sanctification. Through sanctification... I want to show you a pathway to the miraculous, to the supernatural. I want you to show, to show you what you can do in these days when we often feel helpless to do anything about what's going on around us. But you are not helpless. There's something you can do today that will impact the world in an incredible way. So let's talk about definitions for a moment, okay? Sanctification simply means being set apart for a holy purpose. That's all it means. Sanctification means being set apart for a holy purpose. Sanctification in its root doesn't really mean holiness. It means being set apart for a holy purpose. It's making room for God in something. That's what sanctification is. It's creating some God space. When you make room for God, how many knows God can't help? He, it's, he finds a, a vacuum of a, a willing heart irresistible. He says it this way in one place. If anyone walks upright, I will in no wise cast him aside. We see that the scripture says he is the fullness of him who fills all in all. When you open your heart and create a sanctified space, when you set apart a space, God is driven to fill it. By his nature. It's making room for God. It's saying, God, this is yours. This time is yours. That's how you sanctify time. God, this time is yours. Uh, this, this moment that we celebrate tradition, baptism, communion, God, this is yours. I'm setting this apart. I can't make it holy. All I can do is be obedient to my responsibility to make room for you in it. And when I make room for you in it, I trust that you will fill it. Amen. This object, this what makes your tithe powerful, is it set apart unto God. 
You make room in your finance when you, when you follow in obedience to tithe. All you're doing is making room for God up in your finance. If you want to fund, that's why it's not about prosperity. It's not, it's not, I mean, though you will be prosperous. It's not about that get rich quick idea. That's not what giving's about. Giving creates God space in your financial system. And all you're doing is sanctifying the tithe. And when you move it and set it apart, God fills the balance with his blessing and his power. Anything that you set apart for God is an invitation to the supernatural. If you want to invite God into your life, set something apart. Call a fast in your house. Call your family to prayer. But don't just say, well, let's have a season of prayer. Ask first God, we're going to set this apart. And this season is going to become holy. Not because we make it holy or because we're holy. But because we are making room for you in this moment. We're inviting you into our home. We're inviting you into this moment. I think you get the idea. There's great power in it. If you, were, if you search the word sanctified or sanctification in the scripture, the vast majority of the times it's used, it will be something the people did. There are a few times where God's, like for example, the Sabbath day, he sanctified it, set it apart. What did God do? He set the day aside. And then he made it holy. So there's a few times like that. But over the vast majority of its usages in the scripture, it's when the people set something apart. And when the people set something apart, God did the holy part. You see, we don't sanctify ourselves so we can be holy. We become holy because God made us holy as a gift. You see, holiness is not a, a, a moment or, or a, a state that you achieve. It's a gift you receive. And it's not just about, well, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm living way above sin. No, there's, <laughs> that's not it. Is you are sanctified, ladies and gentlemen, because you can be an image bearer. You can carry the likeness of God without filter, without, without distraction, without detriment. You can carry him into a situation where somebody in the shopping aisle at Walmart needs prayer. And you can just pause for a moment because you are sanctified under the Lord. And that prayer becomes holy because you set that moment aside. Sanctification is something we do. Holiness is something God does. We want revival. And we've seen revival tarry. It's like, God, where's revival? And perhaps it's because we have not embraced the full heart to be set apart and sanctified. Maybe when we set ourselves apart, maybe the winds of revival will begin to blow again. Are you all in the room with me? I know that risk sounding a little legalistic, but I'm just saying if you look in the scripture over and over again and the people sanctified themselves and the priests sanctified themselves and the... I'll show you one in a moment. Matter of fact, let's go there in 2 Chronicles chapter number 29. Let's, let's look there. And I, this is just one case study. This is just an example. I, I could have gone to any number of passages and done this exact same thing. And this is a long passage, so I'm not going to take you through all of it. But in chapter number 29 of the book of Second Chronicles, we see the story of Hezekiah, a new king that's been anointed over Judah. Great apostasy has been... 
the history of that land. And Hezekiah, verse 1 of chapter 29, and Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abiah, and the, da- the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Verse 3, and in the, the first year of his reign, the first somebody say the first year. I mean, this king knew how to get things started, right? It's almost like he's just waiting for coronation day because he's got a plan. He says, I'm tired of the debauchery. I'm tired of people living in idolatrous lifestyles in Israel. I'm tired of tolerating idolatry in the temple in Jerusalem. Soon as I get called and soon as my moment comes, I'm going to do what God's called me to do in this place. First year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Literally, the house of God was in disrepair. It's full of junk. It become a junk house. The doors had been destroyed and, and had been, had, had, they needed to be repaired. So the first thing, and man, you can teach through this passage because there's so much good stuff here. But the first thing that Hezekiah did is he repaired the doors of the house. He knew if he was going to invite God back and the people back, somebody was going to have to do a work of repair and restoration. Are y'all in the room with me? There had to be a predecessor. There had to be someone who got a burden. There had to be someone whose heart was vexed. There had to be someone who became a blazing voice for God in his generation. Hezekiah said, I'll be that one. And I believe if Hezekiah can do it, so can you. Verse 4, and he brought, then he brought in the priest and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. You sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the trash from this holy place. Please, please hear my heart today and don't be offended by what I'm saying. But ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the church. I'm talking about people, not a building. It's time for people to repair the doors of the temple of their lives and start gathering the trash that they've allowed to accumulate that's caused the presence of God to depart. We can stand in the outer court and cry for revival. We can stand in the outer court and talk about God send your wind, send a fire. But somebody's got to be willing to lead the way. Somebody's got to be willing to step into the house and say, we got to get all this junk out of here. <laughs> Look at your neighbor with a big smile. Would you do that? Just break the ice for a minute. Just kind of. I didn't come necessarily to preach like a Hebrew prophet, but he brought the priest and Levites and gathered them and said, Hear ye, Levites, sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers. Carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed. Notice, our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they've turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. He knew the situation. He He watched the news. He knew the dire straits that the nation was in. And he says, they have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps. Such a incredibly sad verse. They've shut up the doors of the house of God. They've put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, would you say with me, therefore? Therefore, 
the wrath of God fell upon Judah and Jerusalem. And he's given them to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering. And you see with your own eyes. He said, it's not just me watching the news. You can watch it. Verse 9, for indeed because of our fathers, because of this our fathers have fallen by the sword. And our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. <laughs> Verse 10, thank God for Hezekiah. Now it's in my heart, he says, to make a covenant with the Lord. They're all looking at him with puzzled faces. I mean, they hadn't got it yet, probably. But with all the passion of a consecrated, sanctified vessel... He says, my heart, it's in my heart to make a covenant with God that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. And then he admonishes them in verse 11, my sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him in burnt incense. And that's essentially my message, ladies and gentlemen, today. I'm saying, listen, First Assembly Hebrew Springs, God has chosen you. You weren't an accident. You weren't a mistake. God has chosen you to stand before him, to minister before him, and to be his image bearer in every situation. And to do it, you've got to clean the trash out and get the rubble out. You've got to clean your heart, and you've got to set yourself apart under the work of the Lord. His reform set forth a great revival in motion. If you study and go on through the next uh, seceding chapters, you'll find out that God did an amazing thing. As he sanctified the nation over years, there was a number of years of reform. And as he went through, after they got the temple cleaned out, then he went through city after city and began to tear down the idolatrous worship sites and the totems and all the, the different places of pagan worship. And as he began to do that, God began to turn the situation around for the nation and it would be later that the king of Assyria would come and besiege them and threaten them with a greater force than Israel, Judah, had to defend themselves. But you know what happened? God ambushed them and God destroyed that army. And God, the scripture says he sent them back to their land humiliated. Was it because of tanks and armament and weapons? No, it was because there was a man who said, I want to have revival if nobody else does. If I have to clean this church out by myself, I'm going to be here. If I have whatever, I'm going to start with me. This is not start with y'all. This is start with me. As I clear my heart and clean my church, my temple out, I can expect the power of God. Look at chapter number 31 and just dropping into a passage there in verse 20 and 21. It, it, uh, there's a whole bunch I'm skipping there, but just so you get the highlight, verse 20 and 21, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandments, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, so he prospered. Wow. Wow. Chapter 32, verse 20, the story I just mentioned. Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. We see because of a sanctified heart, 
not perfect, but a sanctified heart, a heart that is set apart and leading a nation to set themselves apart, that there became an open heaven, a prayer that was not hindered, a prayer that proceeded straight to the throne of God. And Isaiah, the prophet, was right in the middle of it. Notice, because of the king Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, prayed and cried out to heaven. Then the Lord sent an angel. This was when they were besieged by Assyria. The angel cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So they returned shamefaced to his own land. Verse 22, thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sincarib, the king of Assyria, and from the land. Notice the hand of all others and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts to the, to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents. The offering plates were full. They brought gifts to King Hezekiah. So that he was exalted in the sight of all nations hereafter. We see the result of a sanctified heart is prosperity, but it's also protection. It's protection. I feel God calling our nation to reform. I feel him calling his church, but that's where it begins, to sanctify itself. Paul reminded us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19... Know you not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. I'm paraphrasing. I believe that as in the days of Hezekiah, it's time for a house cleaning. It'll start at 2501 Murray Lane with the brass fields, but I'm encouraging and not to let us do it alone. It's time to open the doors of the vestibules of our hearts and our lives and clean out the trash. It's time to burn offerings of incense and praise and worship in the sanctuary of our hearts again. It's time to bear the watermark of God. When I'm sanctified and set apart to God, it means that I've surrendered all other usages. You see, when something was sanctified, and, and in biblical times, there are days and seasons the scripture talks about were sanctified, like the Sabbath and the seven feasts of Israel celebration and the people were sanctified like kings, prophets, and priests. And things were sanctified like the tabernacle and its furnishings and the temple and animals set apart for sacrifice. Altars, clothes even, were sanctified. Why? Because to be sanctified was to be set apart for God's purpose. And in doing that, it suggests that I have surrendered all other activities from that particular object. It can't be used for other things. In sanctification, we say no to the world so we can say yes to heaven. As a lifestyle, sanctification is really nothing more than a pursuit of God. It is a process of being set apart for His purpose. Stand with me, would you? We understand this. It's not, it's not rocket science. I mean, using a marriage, for example, as an illustration. Marriage is a covenant, and pastor's been in a series on covenant. I, I felt like this would fit well into the whole concept of covenant. Because I want you to understand, I'm not teaching perfection. I'm teaching surrender. I'm teaching surrender. 
I know that in our flesh no good thing dwells. I know that sure as we think we're going to do it right, we don't do it. And that's why the blood's there. This is not about that. Holiness is a gift. Sanctification is what I do. I set myself apart. We, that's what we do in marriage. A marriage covenant is a great example of a relationship that sanctifies. A minister will say something like, Will you keep yourself only unto her or him as long as you both shall live? And with their vows, we say that we are, entered into, we are entering into a state of holy matrimony. Holy matrimony. Did the vows make it holy? No. But it was set apart by the vows. And when we set it apart, God stepped in and made it holy. In, we, in this way, we understand that this whole concept of consecration and, and sanctification is not a one-time act of declaration, but a lifestyle of surrender and pursuit. Where we honor the vows that we've made to Him in the same way we honor our marriage vows. Holiness is a gift He gives to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Holiness is a two-step process. It's a partnership between us and God. We pursue God, set our lives apart, and God gives us the gift of holiness. The scripture says he declares us righteous. It's a decree by God's court in heaven where we are justified in spite of the fact that we have been sinners. What would happen in Hebrew Springs? Wait a minute. What would happen in your house and mine if we for a season just says God will set ourselves apart. If you and your spouse or you and your family, you and your children set yourselves apart to God, what would happen? If you made a collective agreement, consecrated a fast, a season of prayer, what happens to faithfully pay your tithe? What would happen? Whatever you set apart, God fills with his image and his mark. I often hear people say, talking about the end times, that they're concerned about the mark of the beast. And I always am tempted to suggest to them they should be more, more concerned with the mark of Christ in their life. Take his mark today. Take his mark today. God's watermark will become increasingly visible, even coming into more clear focus, more prominent, if you will, until we can join with John the Baptist and say, I must decrease. He must increase. The process of sanctification is you diminishing yourself so that he can be released in a higher place. We used to sing a chorus when I was a kid, lift Jesus higher. Probably too high key, brother, but lift Jesus higher. Lift him up for the world to see. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men. It's not magic. It's the authority that backs up the mark. And if you'll just bear the mark of Christ as an image bearer, he'll draw. He'll build the church. He'll build your life. He'll build your marriage. He'll give you hope in a season of despair. He'll take care of you in a moment of attack. Four takeaways. Number one, we sanctify. God makes holy. Number two, sanctification is where revival begins. Make room for God and you make room for the supernatural. Number three, when I set myself apart, I'm surrendering to the will of God and bringing glory to Jesus. And number four, 
sanctification resets the watermark of God in my life and returns me to God's default settings that life is messed up. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? I think today I'm going to ask you to do something. Because of the nature of my message today, I'm going to ask you if you've heard the message and it's, it's clicked in your heart. And while it may be a little disconcerting to think, oh, what am I going to have to stop doing? What am I going to have to give up? But yet, like Hezekiah, if something has risen in your heart that there is a cause bigger than all of us and a desperate need that the world is struggling with right now, this is an opportunity right now in this moment for us to begin the process of setting ourselves apart. If you would join with me in setting yourselves apart, I just want you to step out from where you stand and I want to fill these altars. You're not joining the church. You're not signing up for anything other than the Jesus Club. All to Jesus I surrender. We need to clean out the junk. We just need to own it and say, God, there's, there's stuff taking up God's space in our life. We want to get rid of it. There are attitudes and activities and habits that need to go. The truth is, God, if we're going to see a Jesus walking among the church with eyes of fire and hair like wool, it's going to be because the people of God have set themselves apart and said, God, we are making room for you. We cannot make you come. We cannot make you do anything you don't want to do. But Lord, I trust and believe that if we make space for you, then you will come and fill that space. And you will draw people and you will heal the broken and you will, you will save the lost. You want to be part of revival? You want to move evangelistically? Start by moving yourself and then inviting Him. Setting yourself apart into the purpose of God. I want you to pray this prayer with me. And then we're going to sing this course. But I want you to pray this prayer with me. I love what Hezekiah did. He called the priests and Levites together. And then he gave them a word. I, I want that word to be something that we speak together collectively. Will you, will you just simply say this with me? Lord Jesus, today I sanctify myself. I realize I cannot make myself holy. That is a gift that you give me that's undeserved. But you do call upon me. To set myself apart for your purpose. So afresh and anew today, I set myself apart for you. As in a marriage, I'm saying I'm yours. And this is my vow. I will love you. I will invite you. I will clean out the debris. You show me what's there, what's in the way, and I will separate it. I will stop it. I will turn from it. And I will invite you into that area of my life. And today I receive the gift of your grace. In Jesus' name.
service daily live I surrender go ahead and sing it I surrender all I surrender all Lord let your healing power flow through this room let your delivering power flow through this room Lord, I pray over homes and families and marriages and children, grandchildren, God. Lord, I pray that the wind of revival will begin to explode in this house, oh God. That as we clean out our hearts, oh God, that you will fill them with the glory of your power and the mark of your purpose in our life, God. Lord, I pray for every broken heart that's healed and everyone who's wounded to be restored, God. I pray, Father, for everyone who is defiled to be made holy and purified by the power of your grace and the strength of your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Sing it one more time. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my Blessed Savior, I surrender. We got to sing it again. Come on, one more time. I surrender all. Let it be the prayer from your heart. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee. My blessed Savior, I surrender all. I want you to do one more thing, if you will, and you're comfortable. I just want you to take the hand of the one standing next to you. And I want you to set yourself in agreement with them. And I want you to pray like you've never prayed for them. Ask for freedom, healing, liberty. Ask for cleansing. Ask for strength. Will you do that right now? Just, just a concert of prayer. Just pray right now. God, give them the strength they need. God, give them the power. Give them the courage. God, I pray that you will cause them to overcome every obstacle by the power of your resurrection. Oh, God, that you will cleanse them from every work of unrighteousness, that you will clean their heart and mind and soul, making them totally fit for your presence. God, do it right now by your grace. Do it right now by your grace. Do it right now by your grace, oh Lord. Turn every stone, Lord. Bring the light of your love into every quadrant of their heart. Shine it brightly, oh God. Let them see your hope and your help and the answer that you bring, oh God. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Ooh, glory. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, I'm trying to get off the stage, y'all, but 
If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's a great time for you to get it right now. You've just cleansed your heart. You are qualified to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I just believe that in the name of the Lord. All over this room, God, everyone that's seeking hard after you, everyone that's calling on your name, that's desiring the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I want you just to lift up your hands and just receive. Just begin to receive the power of His Holy Spirit right now. Lord, flood in like a river, God. The gates are open, God. Flood in like a river right now, God. Flood in right now. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and change our hearts and lives. Fill us with your glory. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power, oh God, right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, those who need to release a prayer language, God, we just speak that over them right now in the name of the Lord. Lord, let that flow like a river. You said in the outer court of the temple that if any man thirsts, let him come to you and drink. And as the scripture said, he that believes in me, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Lord, we release that river right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We release that river right now. If you're here and you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, would you just pray in the Spirit right now? Just begin to pray in the Spirit. It's not going to get crazy. It's not going to get weird. Just pray in the Spirit. Let's make a concert of prayer. The Scripture says singing psalms and spiritual songs and praying in the Spirit. Lord, hallelujah. Lord, we just speak it right. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, receive. In the name of the Lord, receive the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. 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 I remember many years ago being in Israel in the outer, in the, uh, along the Wailing Wall. We had arrived just at the beginning of the Sabbath. And the Jewish people that are gathered there call the Sabbath the coming of the presence. And for the first time in my life, I had an opportunity to be there with thousands and thousands and thousands of people as the sun began to set. And I won't tell you, whew, they began to sing and dance and shout. Military units laid down their machine guns and began to dance and celebrate the coming of the presence. It's quite a moving moment. Isn't it great when His presence comes? <laughs> There's nothing in the world like it. As you seek the Lord and set yourselves apart in these days, every hungry heart will be filled. Listen, every hungry heart will be filled. Every hungry heart will be filled. If you say, well, I've been praying for the Holy Spirit, hadn't gotten it yet, don't panic. I'm telling you, every hungry heart will be filled. You just, you can't make the Holy Spirit come. All you can do is just set yourselves apart. And as you do, like the coming of the wind, like the coming of the wind. We've prayed so much, but I, I really believe that God wants to send a, a, an, a fresh release of the, the Holy Spirit in this house. In the days ahead, Pastor, I believe that. And if you're here and you're seeking the Holy Spirit, I just want us to pray together as a family. God, give it to them. Fill them. 
If not today, then next service. If not that service, the next service. And let's be relentless in our agreement together as a family. We need a vibrant church filled with people who are anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. These days demand it. These circumstances demand it. So in one last prayer before pastor comes, will you do that? Just put your right hand up around this room. And now what we're doing is believing for those who are seeking after God for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we set ourselves in agreement as a covenant family. Lord, we set ourselves in agreement and say, Lord, that every hungry heart will be filled. That there will be no one cast aside. No one will seek righteousness and not be filled. And Lord, we, we ask God that in these days of sanctification and consecration, Lord, that you will break open this house and let the wind of your revival flow through, filling everyone, Lord. And as a family, we set ourselves in agreement. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.